tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about chapters 24, 25, and 26 of Carry On. <clears throat> Chapter 24, Agatha's POV. She is up on the ramparts at night, looking pale and tragic, and is really just not sure what she wants from either of the clueless boys in her life. Chapter 25, we have Lucy, who is unfortunately trying to connect with someone and is failing. And chapter 26, we are in Simon's POV. Simon finds Agatha up on their ramparts, and they have a very awkward, terrible conversation, as Simon does not want to tell her that he's still looking for Baz, and Agatha is up there with her ghost cosplay, holding one of Baz's pretentious embroidered handkerchiefs. Uh, these two mixed-up kids get into an argument, kind of over Baz, but mostly over their quote-unquote relationship, which is really just Agatha not wanting to be his reward for beating the big bad. She dumps him, finally, and Simon freaks out because he totally brought into the trope of getting the princess at the end of the battle. Well said. A brief reminder before we enter our first section, we are spoiling everything through the end of this book, but nothing from Wayward Son. And with that, let's get into... Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go. Where we talk about the very few things from these chapters that are chill and light and or funny. My first thing is I just want to talk about Agatha's outfit in these series of chapters. Mm-hmm. Where she's wearing a flowy white dress and has her blonde hair loose into the wind and is wearing, I'm assuming, a pale knee-length woven cloak. Um, Just, yeah, doing her best, like, sad Victorian lady ghost cosplay. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm kind of here for it. Because <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. I really like that Simon figures out that she's not a visiting by being like, she looks too much like a stereotypical ghost to be an actual ghost. Yeah, exactly. My only thing that I have an easy come, easy go is about Baz's hanky, which you <laughs> summed up so well in the summary of this chapter. What did you say? Pretentious British... Uh, he's very pretentious embroidered handkerchief. Yeah. Incredible. Just incredible. Also that at 11, he already knew like what a burn it was to like <laughs> toss a like fucking monogrammed hanky at someone who's crying. <laughs> Clean yourself up. Just, oh Lord. It like makes me want to have a really super extra like family crest and like embroider it on handkerchiefs. Like... Just... Your moment has arrived. 
I know. I feel like uh, being in the middle of a plague has really brought maybe handkerchiefs back in this <laughs> monogram cloth handkerchiefs back in the style. Truly. <sighs> An antler. Go hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, antlers and falcons and a fucking unicorn. Just oh my make it. <laughs> I'm going to go to one of those, like, just, make your own. That's like crust. the most, like, chaotic gay description of what. <laughs> <laughs> um if i end up uh going on one of those like you know make your own family crest generators uh i will make sure to <laughs> send it to you like for us to put on social yes please <sighs> yep that's it that's all i have here everything else is not light or funny for me <laughs> Uh yeah, I think that's the yeah. Is it? <laughs> this is, these are not a, a light uh few chapters. They're it's like not. fifteen pages and a lot happens. Yep. So with that, let's move on to I see a little silhouette of a man. I see a little silhouette of a man where we talk about character development uh we're going to be talking about agatha today i have so much to say about agatha today um i want to kick us off though in a very uh beautiful moment of synchronicity we actually got a dm from a listener yesterday or maybe even today who is talking about their headcanon that Agatha is a romantic? I'm gonna read you a part of what they sent. Uh, so they said, feeling defective is a common arrow arrow experience. Uh, she says maybe she isn't capable of feeling romantic love. We never see her have a romantic crush on anyone. She dated Simon mostly because it made sense for them to be together. Her crush on Baz was more wanting to be with someone her family and Simon wouldn't approve of rather than actual attraction to specifically Baz. She may have other types of attraction like sexual or aesthetic to some of her crushes, but it doesn't look like she was romantically attracted to any of them. And then in another beautiful moment of synchronicity, when I got on Instagram to copy that message to put in my notes, the post that was at the top of my feed said, Friendly reminder that aromantic people can be hopeless romantics because there is a difference between enjoying romance and feeling romantic attraction, which is a summary of what we're seeing from Agatha in this chapter if we decide that we are reading her as being aromantic. Yeah, I mean, I'm down for that. I have another theory to posit. Mm, I want to talk through this one and then I want to posit my other theory, actually. Okay. So... Yeah, let's let tell me your thoughts. I think first off, my like going through this chapter where Agatha's just kind of like I don't actually really know what I want. I don't necessarily want to be Simon's prize, and I'm like kind of annoyed that like Baz is always there, and it's like it would be interesting to like I don't want to say be in a relationship because I feel like her musings don't necessarily go that far, but you know, kind of like if I was in a relationship with him, it's, I kind of get the sense that it's like. Oh, I wouldn't have, like, she's like, oh, I wouldn't have to be good, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel that, I feel like Agatha is trapped in the expectations of being a 
well-to-do white girl, mm-hmm. you know? she She's gone along with the kind of, like, family and, I guess, sort of societal pressures of who she should be and is sort of grappling with the notion that's like, oh, I maybe don't actually want those things. Mm-hmm. I also just remembered that we learned that she had a normal boyfriend before her and Simon got together. And I feel like she does talk about having enjoyed that relationship, but I don't know that we get enough of it to really know for sure whether there was romantic attraction there. Yeah. And I think it can be hard, like, if it's your first relationship to kind of be like, do I like being in a relationship or do I actually like this specific relationship with this specific person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is a really interesting lens to think about Agatha through. And I think that we should like continue holding space for it. And also I would really like it if our listeners would like write in and tell us, especially if you yourself are aromantic, specifically if you yourself are aromantic, let us know if you, if that like, feels right to you to read Agatha that way. So here's my other thing is I resonated so much with a lot of what Agatha is doing in this chapter in terms of like the way that I experienced my sense of self before coming out as trans and I feel like there's a potential to read Agatha as being transmasculine and not even capable of thinking about that yet. I have like a bunch of quotes, <laughs> but like this sort of attitude of like creating a story where she's like visualizing herself externally as opposed to having like an internal sense of self this kind of hyper-performative femininity that she is doing that is very much, even though she's not expecting anyone to see her, it's like she's constructing a story in which she's like looking in at herself and even says, if Baz were to see me, like he would truly see me in italics for the first time. And like, what would he see? And I don't think that she knows the answer to that. I don't think that I wrote like it's like a projected idea of self where you like only conceive of yourself as properly existing in the eyes of another person and like Mm. that perception is never actually sufficient and so at least in like my experience I was sort of constantly in this state of heartbreak that I often projected onto my romantic partners for like not sufficiently seeing what I was trying so hard to in that like force into being true that like just wasn't true and I was like dependent on this constructed story to like have a sense an internal sense of like who I was and I never felt like I actually had that I had this huge disconnect that everything about the way that Agatha talks about herself and her feelings really brought up she's like carrying around Baz's hanky and like Everything about what she's doing is so performative, but she's not performing for anyone. Like, there's no one that she expects to see her. So she's just like, what would be 
an over-the-top romantic feminine thing to do would be to walk around wearing this like ridiculous ghost costume and like holding this hanky and like pining for this boy that I don't even know if I like that would be a thing that would feel you know extremely like romantic and like rooted in femininity and so like I'm gonna do that thing and see if it feels like anything see if I can get my feel self to like feel how I think I'm supposed to feel Mm -hmm. we end with this with her saying he'll know what he wants and maybe I'll know what I want too yeah I don't know it just like hit me super hard I was like this was so much of my life was spent like (laughs) narrating my own story to try to like create something that actually felt like having a life even though I never felt like I did or maybe having a self even though I never felt like I did Mm -hmm. I mean that is I felt that was just such a poignant read I like don't even know what to say I mean yeah I mean I'm not I'm not in the same way as with the like aromantic thing I'm not saying like oh let's adopt this headcanon about Agatha I think it's just something that I want to like hold as we read through her story throughout the book yeah yeah we also have this incredibly like over the top uh sort of fantasy that she has where like Baz comes and quote unquote he unfastens the ribbons from her dress and ties them around his arm or his thigh and she says and Morgana what would that even mean something new and it's like what does that mean Agatha like what would that mean to you and like why that's like something from Wuthering Heights. Like, yeah, it's you? like it's very much like oh, and the knights will come down and like uh, he'll tie my token around his arm before he goes to the joust, and it's like, what? Yeah. I guess I feel like what is great about this bit with Agatha is that there are so many ways you could interpret her sort of internal kind of confusion and like ill at ease with herself as kind of like she's feeling very alone in her feelings because she's not quite sure why she doesn't feel the way that she thinks she's she's supposed to feel in her body and in her life right now mm-hmm. I think that's a feeling that resonates with a lot of folks because it's like I mean, again, there are, like, so many ways you could be, like, why don't I feel correct somehow? Like, why don't I feel like I think I'm supposed to feel right now? Mm -hmm. You know, and what do I need to do to, like, actually feel right? Right, and I think, you know, up until this point, we've been reading Agatha is dealing with, like, depression or other mental illness, and I think that no matter what, I think that still stands in terms of our interpretation of what we're like how we're reading her and what what she's going through yeah but i yeah but i think we can definitely read her as like depression plus something else you know yeah i mean she's sort of in a very like she's in kind of like a crisis of self it's not like you know acute where she wants to harm herself but she's like aware that it's there and doesn't know what to do with it besides right perform this sort of weird like brontean like victorian kind of performative feelings right and performative femininity of course yeah yeah 
this sense of like maybe if I do something I don't know even I always described it as this sense of like every everything about my life should be worthy of being in a book or like in a movie so it was very much about like what is this what is this like externally and how do I like write myself into this idea of a story and I feel Mm. like yeah whereas Agatha seems to be right Bronte and I feel mine was like Wheatsy Bat but sort of (laughs) same difference um yeah for sure it's she's she's trying to like construct a reality in which she can like have a sense of self that's that's based on the outside instead of on the inside for whatever reason which is no way to live agatha it sure is not but at least she did a good thing at dumping her boyfriend mm-hmm. <laughs> yes i am so proud of her for dumping <laughs> Oh my god, I, I have exactly one thing for censures on my spine, sort of about this. So. Okay, um, so speaking of them breaking up, let's move on to Caught in a Landslide, if that's cool. Yeah. Caught in a Landslide Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we... Mm, rant about stuff but also just like talk about generally heavy stuff that is not political uh i'm gonna start us off light because i'm just so angry that the mage banned cell phones on watford's campus like what the actual fuck like oh did she's a little bird told me no fuck you like i want to be able to like text people and be like hey yo i need to like talk to you what like what the fuck dude yeah i share your feelings i did actually put this in the politics section because i wrote the mage banned cell phones fascism (laughs) because this is like the kind of like small scale step that one takes on one's way to having like overt control over a population so i feel like it is a political move to like keep these children separated from their parents for the time that they're at Watford uh I think this is a very strategic move on his part that isn't just like use your magic not a phone I think it's I think it's worse than that I mean I think you're 110 percent correct it's actually a little bit why I also hate that like IRL high schools like try to ban cell phones at least in the city and I'm like what if there's a fucking emergency like what the fuck Mm mm-hmm Allow, allow, allow teens, allow teens to have cell phones in school 2020. Yeah, it's not like teens were not talking with each other in class pre-cell phones. We just, like, wrote fucking notes. Right, or was distracted by something that's not class. We just would smuggle in books under our other books. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Right, but, like, cell phones actually have an important use of being, like, yeah, being able to communicate with, like, your parents and your family and, like, some kids need to do that more than others and it's just fucking ridiculous to be like no cell phones mm-hmm. yeah so simon and agatha have not kissed since the beginning of term how many months has it been 
The veil is about to close, so I think it's almost Halloween. So like two full months, something like that. That's a long time. Yeah. I feel like it should be implied that you are broken up if you have not. It's also this scene on the ramparts is the longest they've spent together. In so it's months. like, um, Simon, you guys are all, you already broke up. Like, this shouldn't be a shock to you. She shouldn't even have to tell you. Like, come on. I know. And I'm actually, what actually really, I mean, a lot of things frustrated me in this chapter. But like, he like rolls up and he's like, oh, you're not a ghost. Let me put my sword away. And it's just like, oh, hey, aren't you supposed to be like studying? No. Oh, hello. I'm so glad to see you. Like, it's been two fucking months or what are you doing looking sad and tragic on these ramparts at night <laughs> like well, she, what the fuck they just got in a fight in his dorm room and she stormed off to quote unquote go study is what happened in the last chapter just as oh wait is reference. this directly after the last okay yeah yep. it was it's been weeks since we've recorded the last episode <laughs> <laughs> these are happening congruently i know yeah. what's going on anyway it's i mean the, the point is i still feel like he's just fucking clueless about her emotion yeah and like he's like oh i should give you my coat it's like she's wearing a cloak like she's wearing what's probably a wool cloak like you do you're not even like literally seeing her like in this chapter like you're like oh this is what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. you know it's like you don't have y'all don't have to go through the motions of this because your heart is not at all into it yeah yeah it's it's in I thought it was really interesting that like he wants her to be his happy ending. But also the last time we checked in with him about that, he was like, Agatha wants to move to the country and I don't and I don't have enough money for that, but like her parents will fund it and like that'll be fine, I guess. And it was like So you actually don't want at all what that happy ending would look like were you to get it. So it's like what is it, Simon, that you want? And I I think we get the answer to that when he's freaking out under the tree because, like, the first thing that he thinks about is how upset he is to lose her parents. Yeah, no, that is definitely the number one thing that he wants is to have a supportive parental figures in his life. Even though Agatha's mom is clearly not that person, but Agatha's dad is. Right. That's super really legit, I feel mm-hmm. like. You know? Yeah. Yeah, like, he wants to feel a part of a family, and, like, Agatha's sort of just the means in which that has happened. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I am, I'm so glad that she broke up with him. Like, I'm so sad for Simon that he's losing that, because I think that desire for a family, I mean, I'm 33 years old, and I will, like, you show me something with, like, a good supportive parent in it, and I'm fucking... Antony from Queer Eye having a giant cry on the couch because he's watching a good mom on the screen. Like, what's more <laughs> painful than watching parents be good parents? Nothing. Like, I feel for you, Simon. But, like, it's also so terrible to be someone who it's like, oh, this person is in my life because they want access to, like, someone else in my life. Like, fuck that all the way. So. Yeah. I feel for both of them, but I'm, like, so, so, so glad that Agatha was, like, no, we're done. This is not happening anymore. I mean, right, because it is, like, 
it is super emotional and like tragic that Simon doesn't have this family and it's like totally understandable that he would desperately want this but Agatha is does in no way have to put up with this no and I'm glad that she doesn't again I feel like so many reddit relationship posts are like (laughs) this is like five episodes in a row (laughs) Okay, I spent, like, okay, <laughs> we have somehow spent a lot of time talking about relationships, and there, it, it, it just, it boggles my mind the amount of things that, I mean, very often time, cis women will put up with from, like, cis dudes. Totally. And a situation like this, I think, happens all the time, but I'm just like, but it, it doesn't have to be this way. You could just not be in this relationship. Like, I just think it's at the point where you're asking internet strangers if you're crazy or not because the person you're with clearly does has zero affection for you. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most recent, uh, I feel like, developments in the Dear Prudence podcast is Danny being like, your partner hates you. And, like, I don't know, this is... It's now comes up in like every episode, but it sort of appeared <laughs> out of nowhere recently. I was like, you have been incredible, like emboldened to like state some very hard truths. And it's like true. It's so true. But I, it's something that I think people very rarely are willing to actually like state. I don't think either Agatha or Simon hate each other. But I think, you know, in a lot of cases in the situations like you're talking about, it's like, if someone treats you like that, they actively dislike you, no matter what they say. Yeah, and I mean, if Agatha and Simon would have gotten married at, like, what, 18, 19, and been together for, like, another, like, five years, they probably would have grown to hate each other. Mm-hmm. And, like, not been able to necessarily articulate that they just hate each other. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the sort of, the sort of, like, casual, casual cruelty... That I feel like people think is okay in a relationship is fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, like if someone is acting like if you weren't in an intimate relationship, you'd be like, "Oh, this person just literally hates me." Right. Doesn't matter that the sex is good or their family's cool or it's like otherwise, quote unquote, they're a really great person. It's like this isn't a healthy relationship. Yeah. Totally. All right, welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up, which are often the same thing. You should you should start. All right, so we get a disabled character. We do. Which is great. And in the last, like, two months, my litmus for what is enough has been dramatically shifted. And this is profoundly insufficient. Even though I'm glad it's there. Yes, you're correct. Also, I feel like in world, I wonder if Reyes would have gotten in pre the mage. Probably not. Reese. Reese? Yeah. Is that how you pronounce that? I've been pronouncing it Reyes in my brain. I had no idea how to pronounce it until I started watching Torchwood a month ago. But Reese is the name of Gwen's husband and I watch everything with captions on because I can't 
understand people talking on TV for whatever reason. Apparently it's a sensory issue. And I was like, oh, Reese, that's that character from that's Carry you, On. That's Fantastic. A part of what you... Sp- I would have never guessed that that is one way to spell Reese. I think it's Welsh, huh? They love a Y in Welsh. Maybe. So, yes, it's Reese. Yeah, because that R-H-Y, like, yeah. Like that, like, anyway, yes. The more you know. I know. I also (laughs) just last, sorry, was like, oh, that character's name is Reese and the character who plays Ianto's name is Gareth. And I was like, the chances that Rainbow Rowell is a Torchwood fan seem pretty high. Did she get these names from, like, watching the credits (laughs) of Torchwood? (laughs) I hope so. And the person who plays Reese's name is Kai, which is her husband's name. So I was like, mm, this all seems too related, I think. I feel like I gotta go out on a limb and uh, and think that Rainbow Rowell probably watches Torchwood. Yeah. When she starts listening to our podcast, she can let us know. <laughs> Are we correct? <laughs> well, add that to the list of questions if Rainbow Rowell ever decides to like be in our podcast. Yeah. Uh... Oh, right. Your question was, would Reese have been allowed in pre the mage? Right. I don't think so. Do you think because the buildings would have need to needed to be like retrofitted to be accessible? I I think I think honestly it just might be straight up ableism of mages. My instinct is that he would have been. That something like a mobility issue would not have blocked him. Although I absolutely imagine that they would not have made any accommodations for him. Oh, no. And now I'm like, I just want to know more about Reese and, like, what accessibility spells that he uses. Same. (laughs) So curious. Yeah, I also just want to reiterate that it is mentioned that uh, someone with a lisp wouldn't have gotten in. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, LOL, I would have never gotten into the Watford considering my speech thing on top of my midwest accent (laughs) Uh, so yeah just a little bit of casual ableism here at watford so or maybe not casual maybe just straight up ableism yeah yeah and then sort of in the same vein we've got this information about how characters who can't speak can't cast and this girl whose voice was stolen was sent home and never came back. I actually don't, I feel like I don't particularly like that because what is stopping someone from using ALS for spells? ASL. Okay. I, I read down correctly and then still pronounced it the wrong set of letters. So yeah, like, I would, I would, assu- I would think that ASL. Right. I mean, that's the thing because it says you can't cast without a voice. And then parenthetically, it says usually. And that's why this is an accessibility issue. Because if some people can cast without a voice, Philippa should have come back to school and had someone who specializes in casting without a voice working with her and teaching her how to use her magic without being able to speak. You know, I have to admit, I did interpret... The her not coming back as her just being too fucking freaked out to not come back. Because, mm. like, the way that Simon describes it is that he thinks Baz did it. Baz did it. He did? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was trying to steal Simon's voice, but... Okay, so Baz did it, and, like, 
he's not punished or anything. I wouldn't want to fucking come back either. It's like, oh, mm. fuck this. And I can't go beat him up because he's like out of some like powerful, rich ass family. Oh, hell no. Fuck. I'd be like, fuck this school. You know what? That's super fair. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it'd go either way. That either like she couldn't come back or she didn't fucking want to come back. So. Do you think if she had come back under the mage, they would have actually brought someone in to like give her one-on-one lessons on like how to do the things without without speaking? I don't know. I think that maybe with the mage's ego, if he was like, hey, we brought someone in for you, like, aren't I so great that it would happen? But if Mm -hmm. she was like, hey, I found this person to like fucking teach me some shit about like wordless, you know, like not voiceless magic, he would have been like, fuck that. Hmm. I think it's kind of maybe how I think it would go. Interesting. I don't know. I get a vibe from Miss Possibilf that she would have really advocated for Philippa. Okay, what else? Actually, the the uh, voice st- stealing thing was the only other thing I had besides ableism yeah. in politics. Okay. I just have this like heart-wrenching moment where Simon is talking about his relationship with Agatha's dad. He says that he calls him son. Like, he's the kind of guy who could be someone's son. Oh. And I was like, Ugh. Why did you bring that back up? Oh, Simon! <laughs> Simon, you're not broken. It's so... <laughs> yeah, right in the feels. Yep. So, let's go talk about the sexy stuff. Welcome to Sun Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. People getting out of sexy relationships, out of shitty relationships is hot. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Hot take. Let's talk about it. Um, I'm like mostly joking, but I'm also just like, it just pleases me to no end for, for this hunter to be like, you know what? We're done. We're not in a relationship. We're out. And I'm like. Good for you, Agatha. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about Baz. All right. Uh, we get this information that Penny, wonderful, sweet, incredible Virgo Penny, has <laughs> given Simon a hard limit about how much he can talk about Baz, which is no more than 10% of their total conversation or... Unless he presents a clear and present danger. Which is... It really is the most Virgo. Like, I, I have a know. system for this. And the system is these two, quali- two, two qualifications for us to discuss that. <laughs> and I love, like, you know that she has, like, a ledger. She has, like, an Excel sheet. She's like, Simon, you have exceeded your time <laughs> Yes. I don't think she. I don't think she needs a spreadsheet. I think she's just doing it in her brain. She's well, like, all right, you know what? Mental spreadsheet. Mental. Yeah, she definitely has a mental spreadsheet where she's like, all right, you know what? And we're yep. done. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I just love that so much, and also I guess it's here just because obviously it shows us how much Simon talks about Baz. This 
Baz would do anything to get between Simon and Agatha. He cuts in at every dance, teasing her away and then just teasing her by dipping out and leaving her alone. And she's like, that's about me. And we're like, sweet, sweet child. (laughs) Oh my God. That was actually one of my things. Where did it go? Where it's like, (laughs) Agatha, you're really interpreting what's going on completely wrong. Uh (laughs) And I mean, I guess for the record, so is Simon. (laughs) That's true. Simon would have been like, oh yeah, Bad's trying to to steal my girl. I just want to get in between me and Agatha. And it's like, I mean, it's not quite in the way you realize right now. Yeah. And then Ag- also Agatha isn't there. Right. <sighs> yeah, I love that so much. And then I want to end on the fact that when Agatha breaks up with Simon, his first thought is that he is being broken up with because of Baz. And his second thought is, and Baz isn't even here to gloat about it and like simon 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 like there is like a literal like light show taking place in front of you and you are not paying attention it's like a marching band going by and you're like just completely oblivious yeah <laughs> yeah it's just so hilarious how much of Simon's brain space is taken up by thinking about Baz. Yep. <laughs> it's like it's like eighty percent is what it feels like I in know. the course of this chapter. <laughs> oh man. Alright. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. We learned about compulsion spells mm-hmm. in this chapter. Which are advanced magic and also, what what do you say, dark or forbidden? or Restricted. Restricted. You had some stuff about it, right? Uh, yeah, Simon sort of inadvertently starts a compulsion spell on Agatha during their confrontation which he is confused by because he just said some words that weren't actually spells Mm -hmm. and Agatha is rightfully shaken because what the actual fuck Mm -hmm. way 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 boundary crossing and consent crossing yeah I really appreciate how shaken Simon is by it and how quickly he like fumbles and is just like I will do whatever it takes to like nullify the spell before Agatha has the chance to like obey it yeah which actually uh, brings up an interesting point about what would be the spell to like counteract a compulsion spell I mean because Simon knows what the what the words are what the spell is for like an actual compulsion spell, but has no idea what to do to stop it. Which, hmm. I mean, can you? I mean, is it just a thing you said you'd let it run its course? So it's just kind of like, oh. No, that's a fantastic question. Yeah. I think there's some, like, general, like, nullifying spells, like, as you were. Yeah. I wonder if something like that would be enough, or if something that's, like, that intensive a spell would require sort of a specific counteracting spell. 
Y'all, Jesse just wrote a fanfic for our Patreon <laughs> that involved a bunch of new spells uh, that are not in the book, and it's like so fucking incredible, and I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought a lot about it on my drive to and from the pharmacy yesterday, which is the only time I left my house yesterday. <laughs> And I was like, I also just really love the Wizard of Oz. Like, clearly there are so many magical spells from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, no, it's so great. If you want to read Carrie on Buffy crossover fanfic, join our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it is really great that Simon's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I, uh, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, like, as we discuss the idea of, like, restricted spells, how that's enforced. I kind of... I, I don't think that there's anything aside from, like, you just know that you aren't allowed to use them that actually, like, stops someone. But I think that I like the idea of there being spells like that that's you can somehow build consent into. Like... If you're being accused of something and you're like, give me a lie detector test, you can be like, give me, like, do the spell. But, like, unless the person you're doing the spell on consents to it, you can't do the spell. Because, mm-hmm. like, we hear about compulsion spells again later and it's like they're illegal. But, like, what's actually, what happens? What ha- Like, does the person, like, report you? Or, and then you get locked in a tower? Or, like, you know, what is what does the oversight look like on that? And if that is what happens, like, I don't... I don't think that I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only other thing that I can think of is that if you're maybe not a magician that's as juiced up in power as Simon is, maybe you really can't turn it off. And then it's a dead giveaway if it's like, oh, well, this person is like oh, been shit. compelled to tell the truth or whatever, or compelled to say all these things and they can't stop. <laughs> And it's like that's a thing you can't really hide for a long time unless you murder that person. Which Whoa. I don't know. That's intense. What else do you have in this section? Uh, I have a, a breakdown of the symbolism of Baz of the Grim Pitch extremely extra coat of arms. I love you so much, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> you're incredible. I you're the best fucking co-host. Anything I could ask for. Please, please teach me about this symbolism. Uh, I'm so excited about your enthusiasm. I'm literally so excited about this. It like didn't even occur to me to be like, does that mean something? I was just like, that's goth. Sure. I mean, it is hella goth. But yes, so we learn that the Grim Pitch coat of arms is flames, moon, and three falcons. I don't know what the three signifies. I didn't actually look that up, so whatever the fuck. But, so when you have flames on your coat of arms, it means uh, zealousness or passion and, like, you know, all the other purification, all the other that fire normally, that fire can symbolize. The moon is serenity or serene power over mundane actions Mm. that is on your coat of arms. Uh, And then the uh, falcons is uh, usually symbolize one who does not rest until their objective is achieved. And it is frequently found on the coat of arms of nobility because 
kings and shit have falcons and then poor people have like goshawks and shit that's that's i'm sorry <laughs> i my my brain really wants me to say that's pitch perfect <laughs> <laughs> That is the only response I will accept. (laughs) 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 It was really hard for me to get that out of my mouth. (laughs) I'm so glad that you did. Great. Great. <sighs> Great. You know what? I feel like we should just end there. Nothing else that I have on my list is important enough. <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Do you have anything else, though? That, those are the only two things that I have. Perfect. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Join us next time as we read chapters 27, 28, and 29, where some very exciting things happen. Holy shit. If you like this podcast, make sure you check out our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, which is about Harry Potter. And The Gaily Prophet is also where you can find us on the internet at thegailyprophet.com, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet, and on Tumblr at The Gaily Prophet Podcast. If you like this podcast, leave us a review because we read every single one of them and it brings endless joy to our day. And then other fine people in the world know to uh, listen and subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, be cool like... uh kai radical who recently left us a very lovely stitcher review thanks um you can also tell your friends uh about this podcast especially your friends who are maybe over harry potter tell them to read carry on and listen to it and then listen to us yeah (laughs) that's being a good friend (laughs) (laughs) sorry i must say friends don't let friends reread harry potter oh no Says the person who is only half of the way through book three of our Harry Potter podcast. (laughs) You can also support us financially by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprofit, where uh, this month you'll be getting a carry-on fanfic written by Jesse and a carry-on queer not safe for work comic by our comic artist theo julian forrester so you know worth your while uh jesse where can people find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at jesse underscore detroit uh and on instagram at live from detroit and I am on Instagram at Lark Malachi. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I. And that is also how you spell my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. The music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. The rest of the music is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. And until next time, Scaramouche! Scaramouche.